0: What's up, guys and girls? Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg. We have with me Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone. Um, Hi. What's up, guys? What's up, we, Josh?
1: It's a weird, weird vibes out there.
0: Weird vibes, but um, sometimes you know when you win, you lose. And uh, does that does that saying fit? Is that kind of how you feel this morning?
1: I started writing last night, and the three things I learned—I uh, always it's just really simple in how I write the the intro and said, you know, this is what we learned from FSU's win over you know blank or loss over blank. And I actually started to write loss last night because just felt like it felt like that, and not just from watching the game, but the mood uh, of of the fan base right now certainly feels that way, where it's gone from some being tepid or on the fence to where I feel like a lot's boiling over. So yeah, I, I very much so felt. It felt as much like a loss as it did a win last night for me. Yeah,
0: last night after dealing with the message board and kind of um, looking over some stats and stuff and, and putting everything to social media, I looked at my girlfriend. It was late, and I, I was just like, I keep getting the feeling that FSU, I, I keep forgetting that they won. It's like they really feel like they lost. Uh, Chris, how about you? How, how do you
2: feel this morning? I just feel like it's all a bloody mess. <laughs> say, say I mean, that like really, say, I, that,
1: say that in a British I, voice Chris bloody mess I can't
2: oh. I can't but sitting there watching the last half of that game into overtime it's just it's not it's not in good working order
1: no Josh you, you were talking to your girlfriend late last night about the game I, I woke my wife up this morning and said it went to overtime and she goes, what they were up twenty one to nothing. She fell asleep before the game ended. Uh, we should also not be bookending our our nights and mornings by talking to our, uh, our our significant others about FSU football. It's probably not not a great idea. All
0: right. So you were down on the field after the game, after the big win, after the thrilling victory. Um, but what was the vibe? Did you were you down there for the celebration? Did you feel like it was genuine? Was it forced, or were these guys just genuinely happy to get this win?
1: It was a mixed bag, man. And, and Cam Makers said that afterwards too. Uh, I, I asked him because he said it was "quote unquote" ugly win. I said, "Well, you, do you feel satisfaction with the win? It's the first one of the season. Do you feel relief because you came away with the win, or is it frustration?" He was pretty transparent. And said, "We're frustrated. We're happy we won, but we're frustrated too. There was good and bad." And and to me, that's kind of what we saw with that celebration after I was on the field. It was very surreal down there. Like, first off, from my angle on the sideline, like FSU, I don't think saw that it went right, wide right at first, too, just from the angle. Uh, so there was like this delay of a celebration, and then you know some guys you know celebrated running onto the field. Uh, Akers just kind of put his hand up in the air and and walked kind of slowly. Like, so some were celebrating. Like it was a huge win, and we saw that kind of even transpire through. Uh, as guys walked across the field or jogged across the field to get to the band and celebrate something they didn't do last week after the loss, they get to the, the band to celebrate. And uh, again, some, some are cheering and singing along the alma mater and, and others were kind of not feeling it. Like it. It was very mixed, I guess, with, with how the team mm-hmm. received the win. So us feeling mixed afterwards the next day, I feel like is pretty appropriate, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, certainly. Chris, uh, throw it over to the press conference. Um, Willie Taggart was late to come out.
2: You guys got the players first. What was it like in the press room? Uh, we didn't actually get the players first. They were just arriving before Willie came in, which is unusual. Usually they arrive right after Willie concludes. Uh, Willie did take a good bit of time to get back there for the press conference. I was in no rush from the press box down. And obviously with the way the game ended, I had to ride that last whistle. It wasn't one of those things where there was a whole lot pre-written because you don't know they're about to miss an extra point for the game to be decided, So it took me a while to get down there, and then I think it took about 25 minutes once I settled into the press conference room before Willie Taylor showed up for his press conference. So it was a mighty long time. It was probably about 45 minutes after the final whistle that he Mm -hmm. finally started speaking. Um, I thought his comments were kind of, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like the tone fit the evening. He very much was talking about it as like a pivot point that they learned to win, that they're improving, that it's a place to go from here he brought up penalties being a major culprit of a lot of issues on the evening, which is certainly true. They committed a lot in all phases of the game. And some of them were very impactful on the game. Uh, you know, he addressed Juan Williams injury, which is uh, ankle injury that's going to keep him out for a while, but in general pertaining to the game, the way the one, the fact it was a 45 44 game with a low level sunbelt team, it just kind of came off like, man, like, I don't know if, this is what it should sound like after you've given up 80 points in two weeks and looked like you couldn't stop anybody that was willing to run right at you. And I, I just, I found it odd. I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, he's watching the game from the sideline. I'm watching it from the box. It's two different views. So maybe he's having the feeling of what he just saw on the sideline, the emotion of it. That's what he's come away. But after watching that game from the box, watching quarterback Caleb Evans just kind of run it for three quarters after having a bad first quarter, having uh ULM just rush it with ease for, you know, 180 yards or so on the evening. And a lot of that came later in the game when they kind of willed themselves to whatever they wanted. I just don't know how you can come and try to put a smiley face on a 45, 44 overtime victory where you're lucky you got the hell out of it because they just missed a kick. That thing wasn't ready to end at that point. It ended because essentially a fluke. So I just found the press comments to be a little disingenuous, I guess.
3: You,
1: you, yeah, I you, sorry, ULM got to the end zone quicker than FSU did in overtime. I'm just, you know, that, that we kind of lose that, but they got it in three plays. FSU, I think was six or seven. Like they moved down pretty easily. Sorry, right. Josh. Continue. Yeah. they, they uh, threw no, a I mean, just, the pass
0: over top. Does yeah. anyone doubt that if ULM would have went for two there, they wouldn't have gotten it?
1: Oh, I don't know I, about that. Know, we, I think they should have in hindsight, obviously. Even, I
0: mean, ULM was going to keep putting up points. This this game was going to continue to be extended.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, coaches are hesitant to go for two, so I get it. But like ULM was playing with house money at that point to me, and they were pretty much getting whatever they wanted. So I was truthfully a little surprised they didn't line up and just try to do it. I thought they could run something with a little option action, or at least put Caleb Evans in motion and have the chance to pop past it if he needed to. And I was surprised they just didn't go ahead and do that and try to go for a win and try to end it because it was a pretty sweltering evening. You know, the game started at 5 p.m., played a little after 9 p.m. I think it ended at 9.06, so it was a four-hour one-minute game. So, you know, guys were getting fatigued. It was it was hot as hell out there last night. Um, I was a little surprised they didn't just go for the jugular and try to end it. But at the same time, Migs had been really good for them on the day, their uh, kicker. And he just he whiffed on that one. You know, it went bad. But he had hit the kick with 90 seconds left in regulation to send it to overtime. So he had shown the ability to make the clutch kick when there was a lot of pressure on the moment.
1: And ULM's offense had gotten in a rhythm too. So oh yeah. They weren't. So, I mean, if they wanted to keep going in overtime, like, why not? It there, there wasn't fluky the way they got into overtime out after the turnovers happened. And that obviously gets them in the game. But the offense started kind of kind of clicking a little bit for ULM. Like, I, they probably thought they could have gone another overtime or two period and still gotten into the end zone. Like, what was there to show you that FSU was going to legitimately stop them at that point?
0: Yeah. Brendan, I want to give you a chance before we take this break. I want to give you a chance to talk about your interaction with the players after the game. Um. What was the sense and the tone that you got from them?
1: Oh, the, the only player I got was Cam Akers and I, I think it summed up, he summed it up pretty well again with, with his, uh, his response to, to the question on how, how the, the team and how he responded to it, like what the mood was like in the locker room. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, very mixed. Uh, this is not, this isn't a happy group right now. Uh, and, and, there's a lot of frustration. Um maybe that's something we get into a little bit later with some of the, the intel we have too. But but just on based on what Cam Akers is saying, like that it's clear, like this team knows that they didn't play up to their capability last night. They didn't play up to their capability the week before. That's becoming a consistent theme. And you know, at a certain point you gotta, I guess you kind of start second guessing like who we are. Like is this is this indeed who we are? Or are we Failing to live up to standards and expectations, or are we just not very good? And and I think those are the questions that kind of start start kind of sinking into a program at this point. And you can tell the players are frustrated. Yeah, I yeah,
2: chatted definitely. with Marvin Wilson. I chatted with Marvin Wilson afterwards, and he uh, he came off as almost mentally exhausted. Um, and I know they just played a four hour game, and he played his backside off. He played very hard in that game. Rewatching it today, that reinforced my opinion of that too. But he just, he, you know, for a guy who's only played two games on this season, it's been taxing. They're they're a worn-out bunch to some degree of what they're trying to do and the fact that they're struggling so mightily. And I I asked him something along the lines of, basically, do you have faith in this defense that it can actually be productive despite the results of the first two games? And he said he did, that he believed in it, that he believes in what they're trying to do. But, I mean, what what is he supposed to say? That's essentially the answer he's got to give unless he breaks down a wall and Goes full rogue like if Jacob Pugh did a few years ago, which I don't expect from Marvin Wilson because he's a pew, pro. pew, pew, No,
0: I don't expect but, that either. But he's been frustrated now for a couple years, Chris. I don't know. Every yeah,
2: man has his breaking point. People want to say they need leaders, they need vocal guys. He was on the sideline being vocal. He was right. being, trying to lead on the sideline. He was a guy who was watching from the press box, tried to address the defense about just the need to get a stop, get off the field, play better, do better than they had done in the back half of that game when they were struggling mightily. So the effort is from a guy like him is certainly there. But on the flip side, you have other veterans, a guy like Dontavius Jackson, who's leaving a whole lot to be desired in that standpoint between stupid penalties and mistakes on the field. He's killing his team. And he's a guy that's a veteran leader with a ton of game experience who you expect more from and you need to see more. if he's not willing to give you that, then it might be time to move on. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other subject. (laughs)
0: Spoiler. That is all right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we get to the other side, we're going to give you guys a little insider heat, talk about some of the phone calls that we've made this morning and intel that we've gathered. So uh, take that commercial break for me, Brendan. Thanks.
3: Selling a little or a lot.
0: We're back on the bench, insider heat segment. Um, haven't haven't been able to talk to anybody. We're recording this kind of early before noon on a Sunday, so wanted to give everything a little bit of time to breathe. But um, coming out of the Boise game, we saw a lot of frustrations. Um, I talked to a couple people this morning, and the the feeling in the locker room after the game it was pretty somber. Um, I was told that you know t- when Taggart arrived, he was trying to. He was trying to get everybody to be happy about the win. Um, I don't think it went over very well. I don't (laughs) think a lot of those guys were happy about the win. Um, But I was told that, yeah, he was kind of in there trying to pump the guys up, trying to boost the morale. Um, I don't think – I don't know what you can do in a position like that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Brendan, what are you hearing in the locker room? No, you,
1: you I I know we don't talk to the same people, uh, so yeah. it's kind of interesting when we hear similar things, right? I, I think that that checks out. Then, um, and, and I heard similar stuff that the. Let's see. I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. So I should I should have put down some notes. But one thing that I heard was that yes, frustration. Uh, again, that's evident from talking to guys after the game. Uh, Chris saw that a little bit from Marv. I saw that from. From Cam, but but then you hear about that. What the frustration really you know is about. It's not just not winning the way you want to win, or or the Boise State game still lingering from last week. Uh, What what ends up happening is guys get frustrated with the coaching staff, right? Like you you start after a while wondering if you're being placed in the best position, whether that's schematically, uh, with, with with what the philosophies are, with play calling. Uh, and right now, my understanding is that there's a lot of guys, uh, important players on this team who who just don't have a lot of faith that they're being put in a good position on a routine basis. And and, and you know, I mean, the players have to play better, too. This isn't just on uh, the coaching staff, but when there's a disconnect and a lack of full entire, like 100 percent faith that you're putting into your coach is going to take care of you and put you in a position to thrive. Uh, when, once that seeps in, it, it's problematic. And and so that's one thing that I certainly heard. Is that there's there's a lot of doubt there, and that's on both sides of the ball. A lot of guys don't believe in the defensive scheme. They don't think that it fits what what they are talent wise very well. They want that basic. I think they liked what they did last season. They thought it was that aggressive attacking style style of defense was a little bit better for them. Uh, on the other side of the ball, um, it sounds like there's a lack of cohesiveness with how the play calling is, is going. And I think this kind of started occurring in the second half against Boise state and trickled over to this week too, uh, to where Kendall Browse, isn't really fully ramping up his entire offense. A lot of it is with what coach Taggart wants to do. Uh, so there's some frustration from players on that side of the ball as well. I, I don't have a percentage of like, Oh, this is you know mm-hmm. 80% Kendall Browse, 20% Willie. Like, I, I don't know that, but I do know that Taggart was very involved in both sides of the ball yesterday. I mean, he's the head coach, but but he was helped signaling them plays on defense. He at one point called some, uh, the offensive coaches over to the side, uh, to, to kind of go over X's and O's with them and was doodling down some, some concepts. Uh, so, so that, that again, kind of it jobs with what you're hearing, what I'm seeing, uh, what I was told today, uh, and last night about the locker room and how guys are perceiving the game. There's a lot of Uh, long story short, man, there's a lot of uneasiness right now internally and guys aren't sure if they can really believe and buy into what the coaching staff is in general kind of kind of selling them right now. There's there's question marks.
0: Yeah. And I'll be honest. I I asked, like, hey, did anything crazy? Anybody get fired? (laughs) Like, I was (laughs) no, I don't know what to really expect. um, But I can tell you that I didn't hear that there was anything over the top. You know, like anything break out, you know, uh, guys going at each other, anything like that. But I did. It it was somber.
2: Um, Chris, anything to add to that? Not really. Just a lot of people second guessing. There's a whole lot of wondering if what they're trying to do is going to be able to take
0: foot and work. Yeah. And and, and are they there's just a right. I think that you're right. Not only that, but is the personnel correct? We have the right guys in. Um, what combination of guys, I feel like everything is just a big question mark, whatever topic it is, nobody really has a, a good answer answer for it. Um,
1: and that frustrates other, the players. I mean, that's right. That's what we, that's what the takeaway is, is that's frustrating for a player. Um, I think that's important to, to note here. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, and, and foreign players,
0: I was talking to somebody this morning and I was told that, uh, somebody from the, I won't name names, somebody from the 2013 national championship team reached out. On the phone called him a current player and this person had never talked to the 2013 player ever and he called him as soon as the game was over he said he picked up his phone and he said he answered me he just said said, what's going on in there and he goes and he's like what do you he goes what is going on in there and you know he he's like i don't understand he's like you you guys look like you're playing your ass off he's like but I, i just i don't understand what's going on in there so we're not the only ones confused. The players aren't the only ones confused. There's former players that have won at the highest level that are confused.
1: Real quick on that, Josh, I, I spoke to a former player as well yesterday. And again, not not naming names or anything like that. This is a, a smart former player and someone who's played at, at a very high level. And also the, the question there is, is the football IQ of of this football team? And again, how that applies to the football IQ of the head coach. Uh, that's that's the concern that this, this player had uh-huh. was, the, does this... You know, the, the Willie Taggart timeout, for instance, on fourth down uh, to punt it uh, or you know, before the punt to get guys lined up and make sure that it's not going to get blocked and could have been disastrous. I mean, ULM could have had the extra timeout in its pocket or or more time left on the clock. Uh, it just just things like that uh, are frustrating, not just the current players, but yeah, but those associated with the program.
0: Definitely. Um. All right, let's move out of there and get into some game takeaways. And if we're going to discuss the game, I think the very first thing we should do is give Cam Akers his props for the performance that he, he put on last night. Uh, Chris, you want to talk about what you saw in Cam Akers last night?
2: Cam ran like a man. He had 36 carries, most carries ever for a single FSU player in a game. New school high. He finished with 193 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Also five receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown. The best reception was a really nicely set up, well-blocked screen to the right. O-linemen got down the field, did their job at the second level. Receivers worked their asses off towards the end zone, kind of freeing Cam up. Cameron, with great vision, worked to the middle of the field, finished that play off. That play was one of those moments where you go, man, this offense is capable of doing some really great things. Mm -hmm. You know, Everything came together. Well-executed, quick pass, running back doing his job blocking at multiple levels, guys finishing a play. It, it was what you want. It was utopian offense, but too often that's not the case. But Cam played really hard, and Cam's had two games now where he's run assertive, aggressively, got to the hole, attacked straight forward, finished plays really well, made some really nice open space, tight space moves. He had one yesterday where he was working to his left, stuck his foot in the ground, kind of jump cut to his left. It was really nice, not for a long game but it was a hell of a run. It was a pros run. Cam's played well. Cam's been the biggest bright spot on the, the run blocking has been better than the past blocking. So that kind of helped him, but the run blocking still isn't great. So he's had to do a lot of it himself, but I would say the blocking has been better than we saw a season ago in that sense.
1: To, to Chris's point on the run blocking, David Hale, our friend from ESPN, uh, my friend, a lot of our listeners don't like, him, uh, put out a, a stat today on, on Cam Akers, and, uh, and so here, here, here's what we got. This is last year through the first two games, Cam was stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage on 39% of his carries through two games this year. He's been stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage on 13% of his carries. Uh, I think part of that is Cam's vision and decisiveness. What we're seeing is just worlds better than it was this time a year ago. He just seems so much more confident in the running from the spread system. And, and that's helping, but the offensive line is, is blocking a little bit better. I think the coaching staff that they have is better at putting the the offensive line in advantageous situations, and and they're doing a better job getting numbers. James Blackman's doing a good job at that at times. So all that's leading into Cam Akers having a really really efficient season. I'm pretty sure he leads all Power Five backs and rushing yards right now. I think it's you know you don't want to have to give him the ball forty something times to beat ULM. That's not ideal, but credit to Cam, like he he played his ass off last night. He found hidden yards time and time again. He put the team on his back. James Blackman said as much. I mean, Cam put the team on his back yesterday. Uh, if he continues to run like that this season, like he'll give him a chance to to kind of get out of uh, what seems like a, like a downward spiral right now. Mm.
0: Okay. Well, moving on from Cam, any other takeaways? I mean, I'm sure we all have some takeaways. Where do we want to go from here? Um, something that stuck out to me was, we continue, we continue to see these bonehead plays,
3: mm-hmm.
0: almost without repercussions. Um, I think everybody knows the play that I'm specifically talking about, which came with Devon, with Dontavious Jackson late in the fourth. But there were others, uh, others on special teams, others throughout the game that are just head scratchers at this point. Because the players have talked about how they need to fix this. The coaches have talked about how they need to fix this. Um, Chris, were you surprised to see Dontavious Jackson back on the field, uh, a play or two, after extending that ULM drive with a personal foul in the fourth quarter?
2: Not at all. If we've learned anything in 14 games of following Willie Taggart coaching here, is that repercussions never come very quick. Yeah. And
0: you said something about how history has repeated itself. And I think we saw this with the fact that, you know, you brought up these, these names last year, even before the season started, Deandre Francois, Nyquan Murray, and Taquandri White. You were surprised to see those guys make the start of the 2018 season. Um, I agree with you. I, I think the fact that Dontavis Jackson continues to go out there and some of these guys continue to be allowed to make these bonehead plays. Um, just goes to show you that a lot of the culture change talk that we've heard is just that. I, I think a lot of it's just talk, um, putting guys back out there with no accountability. It, it only furthers that. And, and it puts the whole team in a really bad spot. Um, Brendan to you, any, anything that, on, on this that, place.
1: That's two weeks in a row. Now that Don Tavis Jackson has had what I would deem a selfish play at a key moment, the trying to pick up the fumble, I remember Wayne McGehee, uh and I were texting. Wayne, friend of the show on the, the Tallahassee Democrat, were texting. We were both watching film. I think simultaneously last Sunday morning, uh, and and he described that play as selfish as, as Dontavis when he tried to pick up the fumble and obviously did. not And Boise State goes on and scores, and we know how that game ends. Uh, and I agreed. I thought that was a very good way to to describe that play. It was it wasn't thoughtful of of everyone else around him. It was just him trying to make a play just to make a play without thinking about the context of the game. Then this penalty uh, that occurs in the the fourth quarter against ULM, uh, just totally unnecessary. Uh, But it's not just – like those are – you can't have a senior making those type of plays, a multi-year starter making those type of decisions in these key moments. Like that's bad enough, and I'm with Chris. Like I was going to – if you asked me, if you threw it to me there, I was just going to say no. Like I'm not surprised. Um, Don Tavis hasn't played very well this season, and you look at the run fits – uh, he's taking himself out of the play consistently. Jaden Lars would be two games in a row, does not look very comfortable playing inside at linebacker. That's uh, what
0: I wanted to ask you guys. I won't, yeah. Let's just get to it. What's the answer at linebacker? Because well, what they got on the field ain't it. And I was I was against putting two freshmen on the field at the same time. But I might yeah. not be so much against that anymore. What do you guys think? What's the answer at linebacker?
1: But those guys are going to have issues too, the, the freshmen. And I think the – you look. You look at the the other side of the coin. It's like, well, you're getting them experience. I wish we would have seen Jaleel McRae a little bit more. I think we saw him some, but but not a ton. Uh, yeah, I I don't know what the answer is. I mean, we thought this this linebacker depth was going to be better uh, than it was a year ago. Uh, Dontavis Jackson, for whatever reason, has just taken a major step back. Like he just doesn't look consistent at all. It doesn't look like he's willing to to go and take on blocks and he's dancing around them, which is weird. And Jane Lars would be. Seems so much more comfortable in space last season, playing that hybrid safety role. Now he's inside and just not trushing. Yeah, you know, I just put something up a few minutes ago on on some of the like the head scratchers from from this past game and and some of the the vision from the linebackers and not seeing the ball and option stuff. They get tricked consistently. Some of it is you know that that's part of the game. There's misdirection, uh, but there's like one instance where where Jaden just thinks it's a pass and streaks out about five yards to the left and the plays it's a clear run play and the back has it and turns up up upfield for 10 yards before Jaden even really understands what's happening on that same drive. Leonard Warner uh, gets fooled on an option play and crashes down at the, you know, the dive responsibility when he's supposed to be out in space, the quarterback just turns the corner and scores a touchdown. I think that was on their, either their go ahead touchdown for ULM in the, in the third quarter Uh, regardless, like, I don't know what the answers are. You could put in young guys. Sure. And maybe that makes it makes the future brighter. Maybe that's at this point where two games in the season, we're saying we're playing for a brighter future. But uh, the guys right now are making the same mistakes that freshmen are going to make. I, mean, I guess the upside is you put in young guys and see if they they do it a little bit better and, and learn from those mistakes rather than, than keep making the same ones.
2: Chris, how do you look at it? I just think you need to rotate and you need to see if you got a hot hand and stick with it when you do and just coach up guys when they have mistakes in the moment and hope they go out there and play better with Jaden. I truthfully think he should be a box safety, but at this point with the way he's built himself physically to prepare to play the position he's currently playing, I don't know if he could move back there and do very well there. I feel like he's kind of a tweener body with regards to that idea. So I don't know if that's an option, Jaden to me is one of the smarter guys on the defense who processes it well, but man, he is struggling currently, and he's out of position regularly. And if you want to get him on the field, you got to figure out how you can get him on the field where it's most effective for both him and for you as a defense. And right now, that's not his current role. But that position, they just they got to keep throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. It's not. I don't think there's an easy solution by any stretch. Um, I think some of it's scheme issue. I think some of it's player issue. Obviously, I think some of it's coaching issue. That it's, it's a three prong type issue where there's not one simple solution, but you just got to keep trying because what you're doing currently is not working. Teams are feasting on it.
0: Um, staying with you, Chris. Their ULM starting quarterback began the
2: game 0 for seven.
0: Yep. What happened after that?
2: Yeah, Caleb Evans started 0 for seven. He finished. From that point on, 23 for 31 for 241, two touchdowns. He was only sacked once. That was Corey Durden. I believe it was in the second quarter, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, he he started working to the middle of the field a lot. A guy like Josh Peterson was their leading receivers. Uh, six catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. The 33-yarder was a to touchdown. He Peterson's a tight end. He got matched up with Stanford Samuels and simply beat him. Went vertical, caught it over the top. He started kind of spreading the ball. They did a good job of hitting flats, hitting the middle, and also working to the edges, going to the corners. And the other thing with Caleb Evans is he did an excellent job of running uh, some run options and RPO-type stuff. Kept the defense very off balance, did an excellent job of keeping it, pulling it, throwing it, making quick decisions, making them decisively. And the other thing that really helped the offense was Josh Johnson got going. He had 26 rushes for 126 yards. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't lose a single damn yard on 26 rushes. So that that's two weeks in a row that's that happened push.
1: too, right? Didn't that happen with Mahone last I, week? He he didn't he didn't I get tackled so. in the backfield either. That's two weeks in a row, just for the record.
2: Yeah, so he, he averaged just shy of five per clip, and every single time he went forward, and every single time he finished a play, and that's a big old issue. FSC he only had two tackles for loss and one sack in this entire game, guys are getting way too comfortable in that offensive backfield. Last week. That wasn't the case. FSU actually did create some havoc, did create some pressure. This week, we kind of saw them, in my opinion, dial it back some, didn't bring as much heat off the edge. I think that's because they probably respected Evans less of a passer than maybe Bachmeyer a week ago. But the fact that they were unable to kind of just uh, get in that backfield and kind of throw things off, that, that's mighty concerning. There were only seven lost rushing yards for ULM in this game. Those were all by Caleb Evans. He had 10 rushes total, some of those designed, some not, for 32 yards. He lost seven total yards, 39 gained, finished with 32. He also had two-rushing touchdown. You can't live that way. Virginia this week, what they can do offensively in their offensive backfield, both with backs and with the quarterback, they will eat you alive if you don't resolve that issue real quick and real soon. Mm.
0: Brendan, we're two weeks in uh FSU's played two unranked opponents. How safe is James Blackman's job after these two games moving forward? It's a good question. I, uh, I what I mean is I don't mean like just for the Virginia game, but just yeah. moving forward, how safe is James Blackman's job?
1: Well, so I can't give you a definitive, I wish I could, a definitive like yeah, this is definitely, you know, safe or non-safe. I don't know the answer to that. What would I do? No, is that James has had some really great moments so far this season where when he's in a rhythm, uh, the offense is great under James, and there's been times where he's struggled to get out of a funk. Uh, some of that is on him. I think some of that is on play calling, and coaches need to put him in a better position. For instance, the, the first the first interception, the pick six, where he has a little play action and kind of throws to the right with Tamari and Terry, there's a miscommunication there. Uh, my understanding was is that that play was uh, – to Moore and Terry was the only read there on that on that play, and ended up forcing a throw. But I think there was hesitancy whether that play was the right the right call in that moment to begin with, and and I don't know if that was entirely, uh, you know, a Kendall Biles play call either. I don't have clarification on that, but uh, so so I guess what I, my point is that there's a lot of moving pieces here. The offensive line, when it gets into predictable situations, just looks like the offensive line from last year. Now, when when FSU's ahead of the chains a little bit and is moving, the offensive line looks better. Uh, but when they get stuck having a max protect, there's still a ton of issues now, especially with Jawan Williams out for, uh, we don't know how long yet. Uh, and you got Coleman, she still hasn't played yet this season. Those are your two likely starters on the left side of the line. There, there's issues, I guess, is what I'm trying to say beyond just James Blackman. Uh, as it applies to James, uh, one thing I thought was really interesting yesterday, man, was uh, at one point, it was after the Keith Gavin fumble, Alex Hornibrook was standing next to Willie Taggart. And, uh... And, they said something, obviously I'm in the, in the press box at this point. I, I don't know what was said, uh, but Alex goes and starts warming up and throwing the football and a little bit more adamantly than he, like he was keeping warm throughout the entire game was kind of always pitching it a little bit to someone, but this was him actually true. You could tell he was trying to warm up his shoulder and he started doing some leg stretches and stuff too. Uh, until I got says that, that, that that was addition, uh, something that I think that was weighed, but the team wants James as his quarterback and the team supports James. So, uh, I, I think that there's reservations to go with the switch. Cause once you do uh, the fragile chemistry that I think we're already kind of seeing becomes even more problematic. Uh, I don't know. Does this actually answer your question, Josh? I, I don't know how safe his job is. I think it's, it's pretty safe because the team really does love him, uh, But he just does have to clean some things up moving forward. I think that's, that's pretty clear as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll talk, We'll we'll all have a chance to kind of digest this a little bit more and, We'll do another podcast later in the week after we hear from the coordinators and we get some explanations on this stuff. So um, we're not done necessarily talking about the X's and O's of the game. But for this part, I want to talk about what we can do moving forward and what some of these solutions are. So the big one hanging out there that everybody's talking about on the Knowles 24-7 message boards is uh, Harlan Barnett, Florida State's defensive coordinator, and whether or not Willie can make a move now will make a move now. We'll make a move after the season. Um, Chris, you hear it, anything, or just what are your thoughts on what Willie Taggart can do with Barnett and the defensive side of the
2: football to, to make some improvements now? I mean, I'm not hearing anything specific. It's a normal noise in the system when defense or a portion of the team is not working very effectively. Um, as far as where do I think it goes from here? I, you know, If they continue on the trend they're on through two games this year, and that, you know, truthfully dates back to a lot of last year defensively, there's no way you can keep Harlan Barnett. And that's not anything personal against Harlan Barnett. It's just a results-oriented business, and the results stink. So, you know, it would not be something that I think they can do in season. I think that's difficult, both from a financial standpoint. I know people will say, oh, Jim Levitt's out there. you can just go hire him. Jim Levitt doesn't work for free. He's going to be pretty damn expensive if you want to go hire him. And to hire him, you got to fire somebody to hire him. Obviously, people would say, you just fire Harlan. Well, you got to pay Harlan off and fire him. So we're talking about a lot of money moving around if you want to do that. I understand we're reaching that point when the crowd attendance is poor, like yesterday, where financial has become part of the equation. But I don't think we're quite there in the discussion, personally. Uh, as sad as it is to say, after two bad losses, where the defense was pretty atrocious in both games, I think there has to be more before we kind of reach that jumping point. So I don't think we're there by any stretch, but with Harlan, do you believe it's going to work going forward? Cause I don't, I mean, at this point, I just kind of accept that the defense seems to be a complete mess. Isn't quite sure what they're trying to accomplish. And isn't very good at doing anything that they are trying to accomplish. And they've let two teams completely take over games in the second half. And they have a complete inability to put a game away. So like, you know, hey, I'm just watching and just saying, no, I, I don't think the defense is going to work. I don't think magically flip switch is getting flipped and things right. are getting better defensively. I think the defense is who we think it is. I, I agree. I, I,
0: think, um, I think that the 2019 coaching staff is what it is, uh, is what it is at least until the final week of the season. I don't think outside of some major blow-up uh, internally that you can really make a change. I think, you know, that those changes, there's a certain window where you can make a quality change and you can get it done and do it the right way. And then when that window closes, you are what you are and you got to wear it and they're wearing it. And I don't think that we're going to see it in season change. Um, I agree with you, uh, post season. Absolutely. I think there will be, but the, the, then the question becomes, do you want the same guy making the same decisions and that's a, that's a whole nother
2: podcast. Um Brendan? One, one thing I would oh yeah real quick can I pass. add one thing to that? Yeah. The one thing I think you could do in season with what you currently have is maybe moving some of the duties off of a guy like Harlan Barnett and maybe to somebody like Mark Snyder. Snyder is a former head coach. He has a lot of experience. He's done a lot of things. I'm not saying it necessarily will make it better if you think a different set of eyes operating the machine might operate a different way and maybe you get better results, I think that is one possibility that exists for them. Now, I've heard nothing legitimate that that is being considered or that that's being talked about. I'm just saying that if you're trying to do it within the confines of what you currently have on your staff, I think that is one option they do have.
1: How, how often do we see a, I mean, that would essentially be a demotion, if not in title, but in responsibility. Like, how often does that work? And in season demotion, and the guy stays on staff. I mean,
0: they usually
1: not very. Usually done I. What um, well, I think the point I'm trying to make is that like there's just not a great solution right now that any of us can can foreseeably see. Right, like everything that you're doing is just kind of arranging deck chairs in the Titanic uh, until. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know what else to say. This the defense isn't very good. I thought it'd be better than what it was. It's awful. They're they're 124th nationally in yards allowed per game. That's second worst among all Power Five teams. They haven't played a Power Five team yet either.
0: Oh. Uh, all right. Well, there's a there's only a few more things I want to talk about.
1: Um, is it too early to drink? It's not too early to drink. <laughs> yes, it's, it is. It's, an, it's
2: an NFL Sunday. Give it another like ninety three
1: minutes. All right. I can I can get to one.
2: Um,
0: we, we can't get off this podcast without talking about Trey McKinney li- lined up facing the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> just get your takes off and then we'll move on. I got one more thing I want to talk about after this. But uh, Chris, to you. I just want to know what
2: what the purpose and the idea of it all is. I'm sure there is an actual reason. I cannot imagine Trey McKinney just had a moment where he went stupid and lined up the wrong way. Um, and hey, Trey McKinney's been blocking much better this year. Let's throw a little nice thing out there too for well, kids. and to clear the air um, on that,
0: I I confirmed that the that's kind of that's the that was kind of the gimmick, I guess, to the setup of the play.
1: That was all done on the purpose. Play. That the, that was window dressing was and it worked. Successful. It worked. <laughs> like 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 as much as you guys know and anyone who listens to this podcast knows I love the minutia, right? Like I get all delved up into it and and that's like, man I was nitpicking. Chris said I was nitpicking on like little tiny things last week and trying to make a big point out of out of, you know, hydration and and preparation and, and things like that. So I love, you know, picking apart the little things and and trying to see if they lend to a bigger part of the picture. Man, this was just part of them doing window dressing, trying to confuse the defense. It confused the hell out of us in the press box. It confused the defense because Trey goes in motion. They're focused on him after they see, like, what the hell is this guy doing? And then they run with, I think it was with Cam in the opposite direction and got a successful play off of it. Of all the things for us yeah, to they, do, they, picking they, apart uh, on yesterday's game, that's getting so blown out of proportion. It doesn't make sense to me. I understand it looks silly. It worked. Let, that's That wasn't a big deal to me. Yeah,
2: they actually well, ran to where Trey originally was lined up. Before right. the
1: motion. I, I think they wanted ULM to see what he, well, he wasn't disguising it. So you're paying attention to it. So naturally, like the defense is going to follow and like, pay attention to what this guy's doing. A- anyways, I wouldn't have to belabor it. It was to me, that wasn't a big deal at all. And I don't, I know well, why it became why a big deal.
0: I think, I mean, my take on it real quick is just that it's not a big deal. Like you said, it gained a yard or it gained some positive yards and it was a, a plus play for FSU. My issue with it is why are you reinventing the wheel to, to beat ULM? Um, it's one thing to maybe pull that off in a in a big-time bowl game where it's the, you're giving a team a first look after they've seen you play 13 games in a season, but it's another to do it in week two against ULM. And it just goes to show you that – I shouldn't say it goes to show you, but it, it gives off the idea that maybe this coaching staff doesn't believe in its playmakers, that they have to do something that we've literally never seen before – to fake out ULM uh, and, but, and make plays happen.
1: But Kendall Briles if is all could, about the window dressing. Like that's what is his, I don't know about that one specifically with the guy facing the other direction, but that's what KB's offenses do. If you watch what he did at Houston last year, I understand it's Florida state, but that's what you brought in is someone who's going to, to kind so of do be you creative. That you've never seen before. Yes. He's an innovative. There's, window dressing of mine. And then there's things
0: that you've literally never seen before in how many games of football have you watched? You've never seen a player line up like that.
1: Remember the time the guy pretended he like fainted on the uh, uh, and like died or something like that, and he got blocked anyways.
2: If we really want to complain about an offensive play call, can we talk about the third and two late in the game where they threw of the screen to DJ Matthews behind <laughs> the line <laughs> of the scrimmage? Eh. Yeah,
0: that was on the, Was that, that going to be a halfback pass? I, I couldn't. There wasn't a wide enough view. No, to I don't see think
2: so. They ran the same. They ran the exact same play earlier in the game and went for four or five yards and actually converted for a first down. But the blocking was more upfield and was more aggressive that looked like tired blocking on the edge. That kind of blew that play up, P- plus the pass and the, the whole black and the Matthews portion of it wasn't real smooth and clean as you would like. Um, so it kind of allowed them to crash down and make the play on it. But I set up the fourth and forward to timeout that everybody got their hands in a, a ring over.
1: Yeah. Well, that What did you think about that timeout,
2: Chris? <laughs> I. In the moment I wasn't sure. I thought it may be because of the injury. And I think the T V analyst also said that to people that were watching at home. Willie was asked specifically about it afterwards by Corey Clark of Warchant. And he said, you know, that no, he called it to make sure that they were correctly handling the punt situation. He and thought there, there might, might be that a clock on. I right. And so. but they had not run anybody out there. They had not set up. It wasn't like they got a look. They called it pretty immediately killing the clock. In a situation where you're at that point, you're probably trying to kill the clock to play for overtime. And they kind of gave uh, ULM a little bit more time. I think mean, they ended up punting and giving them the ball with 58 seconds left, if I remember correctly. They gave him a little bit more time by that call. I just, uh, you know, you do situational scrimmages and situational portions of practice to prepare for situations of that sort. Mm-hmm. To call the timeout so quickly to make sure you handled the situation kind of, to me, puts the limelight back on the practice situation. Right.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, um, I'm going to just, this is a topic that I wrote down on behalf of the entire unconquered message board at Knowles 24
1: seven. Is it just a bunch of screaming and yelling and no, this is what
0: everybody wants to know. Do we see a youth movement this season? And if so, when, and how do you see it happening?
1: Uh Chris, go ahead, Sinon. I'll let you uh, have this first. Th- thanks buddy. This is the, the one I felt the You're least confident. <laughs> the hard, <Brendan. laughs> well, we're already kind of seeing it to an extent, uh on some in some aspects. especially week one, we saw a bunch of freshmen play uh on defense. Uh, and you see the good and the bad with that. Uh this week Akeem Dank gets penalized for a personal foul penalty running into the uh the punt returner after the fair catch and and you see all the guys around and the veterans. Guys have actually been playing well this season, like like Hampson, Asrulie, and Asante Samuel, are like throwing their hands up in the air. There's a really good still shot of it. Uh, and, and I think I'm not entirely sure, but Dent was involved in the long touchdown pass, it was going from left to right, uh, where ULM kind of hit the tight end on. It wasn't like a throwback, but it was off like a little screen action. Uh, and I think yeah, it was the Dent, third quarter. Dent. Dent was, Dent's was it,
2: in the middle of the field on that when Stanford is chasing the tight end who catches it.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. It was a, it was some sort of zone coverage, but it looked if you watch how dense playing it, he was like focused on a wide receiver crossing the middle, and almost looked like he was playing man. I don't know the exact scheme that was called, but it seemed like that was probably in dense neighborhood at least. So I don't want to put it entirely on him, but what I'm saying is you're gonna have communication issues and and problems when you're playing true freshman. That's going to occur. Uh, like we said with the linebackers, though, earlier the other side of that coin is. Okay, if your veterans are making similar mistakes and play the young guys who are at least playing hard uh, consistently, not that all the veterans like Marvin Wilson's playing his ass off, Cam Akers is a junior playing his ass off, like those guys are. But you know, when you have Keith Gavin fumbling the football, uh, with just putting you know not putting two hands on the ball when he's getting into to the meat of the defense there, uh, and he's making routine mistakes, and he you know had a, had a drop last week. Uh, Dontavis Jackson, someone we mentioned as a senior who hasn't played particularly well. Has uh, had a lot of boneheaded uh, decisions in, in crucial times. Kyle Myers is someone who hasn't played great when you're seeing these upperclassmen guys who've been here for a while and haven't played a whole lot of winning football, make issues. And yeah, you, maybe you put in some of the true freshmen or even younger guys. Like, I don't know why we didn't see Keyshawn Helton all that much. That was perplexing to me. Like, why is he not getting more run? Uh, when, you know, Warren when, Thompson. Uh, Warren Thompson. And I understand Warren had, you know, had some anger issues last week and was frustrated, but you know, there's, young guys are going to make mistakes. That's understand. That's understood. Veterans shouldn't be making as many mistakes as young guys. If it's close to around the same amount of amount of mistakes for both guys. And yeah, you go with the young ones. So I don't, again, I didn't directly answer your question. I, I don't know what the youth movement looks like. I know we've already seen some young guys play. I assume we'll see more throughout the season. I don't know how soon though. I'm in favor of it though.
2: Three Quick answer for me. I don't see, I don't think we see a drastic youth movement just based off of the last 14 games. I would love to see more Kevon Glenn because he's yet to play. I actually think he would finish a play as a linebacker. You know, he plays linebacker pretty well like a true linebacker. And then Julio McCray's guy we've talked plenty about. I would like to see more him, of him. And Bernardo Green, the guy who I didn't get why we didn't see more of him in Game 2, because he played pretty damn well in Game 1, and there's some DVs that aren't playing real well right now. So I was surprised by that. Second part of my answer on the whole youth movement is, yeah, I don't think we see a whole lot of it just because Willie hasn't done it in the past. And my third part of my answer is that they should do it. They need to figure out who they're going to go and trust to try to redevelop this program and get in a better place than it currently is. But I feel like a broken record saying that because I'm pretty sure I said that around game seven or eight of last year. So I'm just going to leave it be and not waste any more of your time on a Sunday.
0: (laughs) Okay, guys. Well, it is Sunday. I, I implore you, Chris and Brendan to get your rest I can only imagine what this week is going to entail for you guys on the beat. Um, just rest up. It, it, it's Sunday, um, but be ready to go Monday morning. We, what's the schedule for this week for the fans that you know want to hear from Willie Taggart and the coordinators?
1: I'm sure we'll talk to only like three players this week. I'm not expected to be all that busy. Uh,
2: but we do get the coordinators. Well, they're scheduled to speak. We're supposed to get Willie on Monday at noon, and then we usually get the offensive players and coaches on Tuesday and by coaches. I mean Kendall Bryles. And on Wednesday, we usually get defensive coaches and players and by defensive coaches, I mean Harlan Barnett. And then on Thursday, we get Willie again, who usually puts a cap on the week, addresses injury or any other situations with players not being available, and you know kind of puts a final say in on preparing for the next opponent. So, that's how the weeks are. That's how it'll play out. We get a 10 minute viewing window on Tuesday, which is basically we run out there to see who might be hurt, who might not be participating, if anything on the depth chart seems so different, and then we're done. That's how the weeks work from here on forward.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, for Brendan Sinone and Chris Knee, I'm Josh Newberg, and um, we'll be back on the bench later this week. Rest up, guys. See you.